everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 543. Today, recording live at 4pm on Wednesday, the 1st of August. The 1st of August. Gosh, here we go. We're getting into the serious summer months, although we don't care. Mm. We've had loads of summer. Although I was at uh, WOMAD this weekend. I went to a festival, and uh, this was the first break, which happened to be the first two days of rain in eight weeks. So uh, yeah, that was it. Was rained off, and I retired hurt uh, and left uh, left on Sunday morning rather than stay till Monday morning because I was it was wet and cold and windy. How about that? I mean, what are the chances? Anyway, it was good fun. Uh, this is a podcast uh, w- uh, dedicated to electronic music, music production, software, hardware, uh, recording, controllers. Uh, yeah, software. I've said that already. Lots of things to do with the kind of ecosystem surrounding recorded and live performed music. Maybe veering more towards the electronic side, but you know it, it can vary depending on uh, on what the news is of the week. And I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. Uh, hello to everybody in the YouTube chat room. Uh, if you want to subscribe, you'll get notified when we're live, and you can join our chat room, the fulsome chat room. I think I would like to say, as I often do. Uh, let me see. We've got a good, uh, a decent number of people in there. We've also got our uh, IRC chatties. Uh, you can get to those via sonicstate.com forward slash live. Uh, I want to say also thank you to Isotope. We'll be providing a prize for this week's show. The prize is, of course, Isotope Vocal Synth 2, the new vocal processing that's been updated from Vocal Synth 1, although it was only called Vocal Synth then. Lots and lots of great features on that. We'll, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, I want to say thank you uh, for joining us, everybody, and also welcome to our guests. And we'll start over here with Mr. Dave Spears, who's over there, GeForce Software in the, it's not a synth cave really now, it's a sort of synth, um, synth shed. Is that fairer? Shed shed doesn't seem like quite the right word. Barn. Let's go with barn. I like the idea of barn. Barn. Shed. Synth barn. Yeah. It's like a book barn, but filled with synths. Dave Spears, GeForce Software, of course, and... uh, synth aficionado look he's got his credentials all laid out behind him right there 909 to his uh uh his left and uh is that 55 it is the 55 not the dot com isn't it no 55 and above that i don't think you can see it it's the little 100m which is fantastic ah, absolutely uh, of it. but yeah yeah combination of those three kick in Excellent. And uh, you've been uh, busy, as I know. I, I saw pictures. You had a visit from Mr. Rich Hilton, who came over to see you, and uh, other other yeah. luminaries. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, well, you came, first of all. That was, oh, that was a lovely honor. visit. We, we rolled out the VIP carpet for Nick. We really did. We got yeah, go-karts I... and things like that. So we took Nick out on go-karts and old cars and things. This is the kind of, Nick got the sort of star treatment, any kind of A-listers who come here get that kind of treatment. So <laughs> I was Nick got that. Uh, and then, yeah, Rich played a gig in Henley, which is a very strange, it's like Henley Festival, it's super posh. And I went down to see him at Soundcheck, picked him up, brought him back here, spent a really good afternoon, early evening with him, dropped him back down there, then went to the gig and he'd secured uh, a couple of VIP passes, mainly so that my missus could go on stage uh, for the last number of the gig, which is what they do for every gig. And that was hilarious because she started off behind Rich dancing around like a lunatic and then decided she was going to edge next to Niall. So she kind of kept tipping me the wig. Anyway, it was hilarious because... After a while, the kind of people on stage get ushered off and the band are left on there. And I'd lost her and I was like, I text her, where are you? She was on the riser with the brass section. 
he sneaked, sneaked, <laughs> joined, sneakily joined the band. So she was officially yeah, the last was... person to leave the stage, right? Yeah, she loved that. She was dancing right till the bitter end. Uh, and then, yeah, we had uh, a load of people from Novation and, yeah, Chris Huggett, which was, wow, wow. The legendary so Chris, Chris Huggett. Was here. Yeah, amazing. And obviously, um, it's uh, sad, but Chris's old partner in the whole Wasp uh, company, he died about a month ago. Uh, and we knew him. And, uh, yeah, so that was a really interesting conversation about the old days. And then, obviously, post-EDP, all about Oscar. And then, actually, i got to say, my favourite story was when he started talking about him and David Cockrell, who was the EMS guy who went on to electroharmonics, both got seconded by Akai after the demise of the Oxford Synthesizer Company. And they were the two people who really developed the S1000. Mm. And the story of them drinking in Japan and was just brilliant was just brilliant so yeah and hopefully he's coming back again anyway it was like it was a real moment because obviously we've got the wasp and the spider and the wasp deluxe and obviously oscar uh and he was just kind of playing and noodling around telling was us he was he any good because so often so often that happens in that case you get the synth legend show up and they just cannot play for toffee you know they're just the designer you know they're they're not connected it in the same way as like a, a player would be so sometimes you just sort of think obviously the person who designs the synth is going to be able to play like a like a beast and you know sometimes they can't yeah it was a weird one uh yes he can play but the wasp was quite amusing because as anybody in the uk knows it's been really really hot and there were about nine people in this room and the wasp touch keyboard was quite sweaty so it kept sort of leaping around i was like "Mm, sounds very proggy chris Anyway, yeah, no, he was brilliant, utterly brilliant, and that was that was a bit of a kind of special day for us, definitely, uh, and hopefully we'll see him again. Well, Dave, thank you for sharing that, and thank you for joining us too. Uh, obviously, uh, Dave Spears, GeForceSoftware.com, do check them out. Uh, see, I need a bit more light on my camera, I think. I think I'm all right. Uh, we also have uh, Mr. Goops. Mr. Gaz Williams, who's there in uh, uh, in Bristol. Gaz Williams, of course, bass player, producer, music technologist. You're looking very healthy and hearty. Have you been out festivaling as well? Mm. No, that's why. Ah, maybe that that's is it. why. Yes. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, no. How was Womad? Did you get? Did you get? Did it get wet? It, get, it was very, like, very wet. Uh, but not the it's whole time. Very, the worst thing is it okay. was very. It was just very, very windy. So you spend the whole time wondering oh. if your tent's still going to be up when you get mm. back, which isn't much. Oh fun. wow! Did you see that footage? I think of a festival. Was it in Germany with all all the tents flying in like a whirlwind in the air at some festival? Oh. It's amazing. I have to try and find the link. Yeah, for it. I know. Just... That was a few years ago, wasn't it? Was that or was it? This, oh, was this it? Stuff? Right. I've yeah, only just, yeah, no. I've only just seen it. I've just yeah. seen it. Um, but like behind me uh, in the room, I think we can just see a Mr. Richard Alpin, a net, synth networker extraordinaire. Ah, oh, there, there we go. Is. Just there the top of his head. Hello, there Richard. In the back there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's uh, he's popped over. Um, yeah. What uh, what else is interesting? Um, Mm. Actually, I've been. I'm working on top secret project at the moment. That's been taking up all my time. So, uh, good. things will be revealed soon. But yes, right. Okay. Well, we look uh, forward happy, to happy that. Happy to be here. Good. Mm-hmm. Glad to have you as well. And we've also got uh, Mr. Matthew Hodson, who's there in his uh, modular equipped studio. Where he's. Uh, are you still working on your EP, Matt? Yes. Yes. Very much so. 
Um, in fact, I was just saying earlier, I've, I've been doing some live streaming all last week because um, I just started from scratch. I pulled everything out and I just, uh, yeah, at some points I just turn on all the, the cameras in here and just do a live stream out and talk through what I'm doing and how I'm building the sounds up and um, what I'm inspired by and just my processes I'm going along really. So uh, yeah, I think I did three or four live streams last week, just randomly. Um, they're on my YouTube channel already to go. I've called, I've called the series Come Patch With Me. Oh, very well. good. Very good. <laughs> are you finding that it's assisting in your creativity or are you using it as an excuse not to um, get on with things? <laughs> well, I only turn it on at the good bit, so um, I'm filtering <laughs> out the, the, the long hours where you're sat there going, why haven't I got any sound? Um, I think it is fueling my creativity. If anything, it's reasserting and making it clear why I'm doing particular things, where where I'm usually going to for my sounds, and then and then also creating a bit of a diary so I can go back to that as well and look at things. Um, but I also got um, some test pressings in the post today of my first 12-inch double uh, A side that's coming out on Fat Cat Records. So I've had to go and buy a record player. And oh, I remember the days. So you've got the white the white label test pressings. Are they the acetates that yeah. uh, that only will only stand up to a few plays before they sort of wear out? Yeah, exactly. So it's my first time Old school. anything's gone out on vinyl. So um uh, yeah, it's it's interesting hearing your mixes translated and mm. cut to vinyl, isn't it? I mean I don't know. Them. It's been a long time. Uh, and that, is that uh, when you discuss, you just you re realize that that massive stereo bass patch was perhaps not such a good idea, right? Yeah. And I am um, actually, if you watch my live streams last week, this week, they've all been about pretty much stereo bass because I'm just big <laughs> on stereo bass. I've got like four or five different bass oscillators going on here and all of them are going through Strymon reverbs and delays as well to make them even wider in stereo. <laughs> so, yeah. Bye bye. Yeah. Gets cut to vinyl. Mm -hmm. Yes. How many? How many? Uh, how many premium uh, replacement cutting heads are you going to have to stand, stump up for for that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. I don't know. Uh, for those who perhaps know. don't know what I'm talking about, um, the mono of the bass is very important because you get the biggest amount of movement in the cutting head. The cutting head in a uh, vinyl plant is the most expensive bit when you're mastering, and uh, massive movements can cause it to kind of uh, break or, or or make the grooves too wide so the needle jumps out so it's very hard to press so what they often do is mono the bass below certain frequencies mm. so that that deviation is stereo because if you're stereo it's going to have fairly yeah it's difficult to deal with so that's that's old school mastering techniques in case that anyone was wondering which you're probably not, because not. I don't know. Vinyl is becoming more popular these days, though, isn't it? I mean, definitely. Yeah, I've uh, just yeah, bought a of load course. of new vinyl, and um, yeah, I, yeah. I'm so. It's so good actually to hear stuff that I've just been listening to digitally for years, and I've just gone and bought things out on vinyl and just checking them out, just as for me now, start a little bit of a reference point as well. It's been a really, it's been a really interesting experience actually. Um, mm. Just things going out on vinyl and listening to it and. And like you say, how checking out how things are mastered and cut to vinyl, and just how different they they sound. Um, it's been it's been a really interesting experience. But so, yeah. something I always say about vinyl, though, is that it's such a lot of effort relatively to put a record on the platter that the eighteen or so minutes you tend to let it play for. But with digital, you tend to not have you don't have that same sort of effort of putting the record on. 
so you have a much shorter attention span. You're much more ready to, you know, to jump to something else and not let the whole kind of side play or whatever. So I, I think that's an often overlooked aspect of vinyl, that, that, you know, the amount of effort for 18 minutes is, you know, to change it, you tend to just let the whole side play. You know, I think that's something that's often uh, overlooked. Mm, yeah, that's a good you know. point. I mean, it's definitely, mm. you know, we've spoken about it before. It's like it, you, when you're putting a record on, you're often putting it on like an old school record because you want to sit down and listen to it. You're not going to be doing the washing up in the other room or, or doing something else because you'd have to go and change mm. the record every once in a while. Or, you know, sometimes you do skip mm. the tracks. You know, people do do that as well. But yeah, it's a lot. You're right. It's a lot more effort. Uh, speaking of old school, um, this video came up to my attention. It's not particularly new, but I just thought a lot can be said discussion. about Rihanna and Drake's hit song work. It completely owned the charts in 2016. Its dance hall beat and endless repetition were the this ultimate example well, of where uh, the sound of pop was going. It did everything series. most top 40s hits were doing, except for one thing. It faded out. Let me... I thoroughly recommend you watch that because it's a very interesting piece. Uh, her, her documentaries are excellent, and this is yet another one, and it, it kind of... She, she, when she, before she started this, she thought the fade out was a bit of a cop out. You know, she thought you should actually have an ending. And then, but then she started to look into the history of it and the way that it all came uh, together. And there's some really interesting facts in there. Uh, I, I'll, I'll drop a few of them in there before I take it out to the panel. Um, first of all, the first fade out apparently was in 1918. Uh, by Gustav Holst, who wanted to create a slow... Uh, the, the fading of Neptune, the piece of women's choir. So he put the choir in another room uh, when they were performing and then got the uh, uh, somebody to gradually shut the door so it got further and further away and smaller. <laughs> and that's a sort of very manual fade. Uh, and then also fade-outs were generally introduced 50s and 60s because uh, radio was very strict on the length of, certainly American radio, on the length of music you could play. So quite often DJs would actually fade them out. And it would always, you know, quite often it would be not necessarily at the right point in the record. So labels started to introduce the fade-out so that they had the control over it and it would generally be on the chorus out. That would be how it went. Uh, another fantastic fact for you, uh, George Martin's Strawberry Fields, uh, the Beatles production, which fades out and fades back in again, we all thought was really arty. Actually, what it was, there was a really dodgy bit of playing and he wanted to keep the outro, but didn't obviously didn't do the edit. So he faded it out, missed the dodgy bit and then faded it back in for a reprise. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Absolutely yeah. awesome. So um, fade outs. I I'm going to come to you first, Dave, because, uh, you know, you and I are of, of the age when pretty much the fade out was the only way to end a record or, or a recorded piece of music, right? Yeah. I didn't realise it had gone away. Ha! Well, that's because um, you don't listen to any modern music, mate. <laughs> no, I don't listen to this contemporary music stuff. Um, no, it's weird. I love, you see, when I listen to... Like some of my favourite tracks with proper bands live playing, they always rock out on the outro, and those are the bits I love—the little licks and stuff that bass players put in—and because they're just, you know, job done. Now let's have fun till the end of the track, and they're all those nuggets. And I've been in countless sessions where, you know, the ends just run on because you know forever, really, because you know that it's going to be a fade. And there'll be little bits that people have played and I'm like, oh man, can we just take that little bit and put it like, put it somewhere in the song? Because they're the fun bits where everybody's just relaxed and is just jamming away. So I'm all for a fade out. 
Interesting, interesting. Uh, okay, uh, Matthew Hodson. I mean, you know, when you're noodling, when you're doing modular-based stuff, I mean, there is no ending, really, is there? Because it's a lot of it's sequenced or clock. Yeah. So if you stop it, the chances are it's not going to stop on a very specific sort of ending punctuation. It will just kind of fall yeah. apart. Yeah, you're right. And actually, when I watched this video, I was thinking about how I use fade-outs and fade-ins inside the music rather than at the end so for example i might use an envelope to close over time very slowly a filter or just slowly close a filter and then that so that sound will grow and it'll arrive and it'll stay there and then it'll eventually go again and and that'll overlap with other sounds fading in and out and that's pretty much how i compose stuff using the modular to be fair and um these you know, some of the jams and some some of the compositions can go on for seven, ten minutes, that kind of thing. And then when it comes to the end, I mean, in this sort of electronic world, it's it's using the high pass filter, just taking away all the low end from stuff and kind of DJing it out or, you know, or low passing it or, or whatever, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's I'm it's very much everything most of the sound sources it's all about bringing sounds in and out and fading them in and fading them out particularly um some of the really sort of heavy dark techno industrial techno berlin techno sort of stuff a lot of that is you know really long songs and it's just sounds just growing 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 developing and then going back out again at just over time um so that just made me that video just made me think about about that and actually again understanding my approach to when i'm composing using this sort of equipment it's completely different the the other thing i, th I was thinking about is because uh, i i also do stuff for tv and adverts and there's just <laughs> obviously a fade out is not gonna or at least i don't think there's ever been a fade out on a tv advert you know they yeah, want true. it to be you're using that amount of time we've got we've got like 30 seconds here bam and it's gonna be loud all that way um it'd be interesting actually if i ever did deliver something where i did a five ten second fade out on an advert can you imagine it i think it'd actually make people maybe turn around and go hey and you know look at the tv more and take more more notice of that i don't know be quite well interesting. those are the, yeah it's I interesting because think... some of those things actually because i noticed that i can't remember what the ad was recently there was an ad and it just didn't have any sound there was no sound whatsoever and it was all done ah. with text overlays and it made you sort of go huh because you think, is yeah, there something wrong with the telly? Because that just seems like such... Yeah. So maybe there is room for something along those lines. Definitely. That is interesting. I wanted to ask Definitely you, so do you take essentially an entire part? So maybe you've got a line that's going into, yeah. you know, it's got its own envelope, and own filter movement, and then you put that into a secondary envelope with a VCA on it that just sort of fades it in and out that way. Is that how you do that? I am um, instead of doing a secondary envelope, I'll use my hands. I'll just do it manually. Ah, okay. Um, I've got, you know, part of the reason I did this was to be for it to be tactile and to get in there and actually use my hands and and have that human interaction with it. So I'll grow sounds and I will reduce sounds according to, I suppose, responding to other sounds that are growing and and mm. dying away and and if the hi hats suddenly come in or or removed or something like that. Ah, um, okay. All right. No, I, 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 I also, in, in that video, they also mention to get a really good fade out is that instead of doing a stereo fade out, they would, they would 
fade out individual parts at different levels, so the yeah. vocals might yeah. get quicker. This is kind of what. Yeah, I well, this is I, what I, I, I would have to talk because I've always done it with the mm, yeah. the fingers on the fader or the or drawing it in, yeah. you know, and, and uh, I think the drawing it in is is not so good these days. Create creative fade outs from the multi tracks is so much fun, and like doing things yeah. where you know you're bringing out all things at different levels, but also maybe increasing the reverb's end as it's on this way out, so things are going into more of an ambient, you know. So really getting creative with that fade out, I think, is just a lot of fun i really enjoy it and i think it's something that people maybe overlook they, they put it on the fade on the in you know the mastering stage or whatever but actually you know taking it all out and being very creative but also that thing with fade outs as well can be very tantalizing a very famous example is in the end of uh, good vibrations you know where you get the uh the theremony bit it just ramps up and it's a really exciting mm. and then it's gone uh you know it's just like oh Oh, that lovely, amazing moment. And it's only just a fleeting moment. And funnily enough, there's a there's a connection there. The, the Janelle Monet's latest album, Dirty Computer, which is a great album, great artist, um, features Brian Wilson, actually, funnily enough, the song, the opening song, Dirty Computer. Uh, just as the song's going, it goes into this lovely section and it just fades out. And it's just like, oh, come back, come back. So the fade <laughs> can be used as that way of just... Tantalising, yeah. Tan tantalizing thing and uh so i think the creative and the you know that emotional aspect that you can introduce with a fade out i think is uh is very cool i mean that documentary i agree is very very good and another thing that she talks about though is that people tapping along yeah uh, with the fade mm. out will uh, they, they they did an experiment where people tapped along to a song that ended abruptly or a song that faded out and people carried on tapping along after the song had faded out that that the song yeah, yeah, it, it stays oh, okay. with you oh. as, yeah, it, it as it kind of goes. You sort of kind of so rather than it being something out of necessity, it can be something that does have you know an artistic contribution to the track as well. Which you know, and as I say, doing craft you know crafty and interesting things and just having little new elements just arriving just as it's just about to to vanish. But here's an interesting uh, here's an interesting thing I'd like to ask the panel. What's your favourite fade-out shape? Me, I love an S shape. Go on. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, I, mm, that's a good question. Well, I'll, I'll defer. Uh, Matt? Oh, uh, it depends on what you're doing. But, yeah, you can't beat a bit of the old S shape, can you? I mean, <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. Um, I, I, I must admit, I tend to use filtering probably more than I do for volume fade-out. I, I just quite like taking away the top end a bit first actually you're making it sound like it's got quieter that way and then i might then reduce the volume mm, that's an interesting idea I, i'm just trying to think i mean i'm you know we're so used to drawing the fade in i mean i generally go for the uh um uh, what's that the linear curve isn't it the exponential, exponential linear uh, exponential uh, is bowed out whereas linear uh, inverse, logarithmic is bowed in Oh yeah, uh, yeah, logarithmic. Yeah, so I mean, but I agree. I mean, you know, actually getting it because I I remember doing this in the past where you where when one would be mastering to dat, it would be doing the fade and then think, oh no, I messed it up. And you'd have to go all the way back to the beginning and reset and just you know before edits and all that <laughs> stuff, you mess the fade yeah. up. And there yeah. was always the joke about the fade engineer. I don't know, Dave. Do you draw your fades in or do you like to have a manual hands-on bit? Do you kind of get the uh, get a bit of you know lumbering up? Yeah, definitely limbering up for the hard fade, which is just pressing stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
it depends. It really does depend. I do like the S curve, um, but I do like the exponential as well. God, this sounds really nerdy, doesn't it? Exponential. Come on, this is what we're all about. This nerd on, nerd on. It's 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 the end of the track, but it's things like for me, it's really. I mean, again, it depends. But if you're working with with you know a chorus fade, it tends to be linear because, in fact, it tends to be yeah. No, it tends to be more of a curve because you got to get that. You got to get that at the end of that chorus because that's crap. If it just if you've like missed the, the last phrase in the old days yeah in the old days we just doing yeah. it ah, and i got the beginning of the chorus again oh god <laughs> so yeah it depends it depends but i can listen to it's funny actually i was thinking about that while we were all chatting things like um uh john hopkins i can listen to just his fades at times there's a brilliant one he does with that uh, who's that who's the king creosote starboard home and there's just this chord that just kind of continues and i'll do you know i'll grab the missus sometimes and go just listen to this before we go to bed and it's just the fade (laughs) 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 lovely i i wonder yeah good fades i wonder what do you think (laughs) is the natural you know if if you put a person with a finger on the fader and you say can you fade that out what is the shape the natural human shape of a fade-out that they would do, because it's unlikely to be linear, isn't it? Because that would be just a straight 45 degrees from top to bottom. What's the actual fade? Do you think it's more likely to be a logarithmic? I mean, what's your sort of the the human... Faders are tapered, though, aren't they? The fader itself could be tapered. True. You know, so it depends on what the fader is. Um, mm. But I've done those manual fades and like had a little kind of little panic just at the end and just made a little kind of annoying little little jerk, just nice smooth, smooth, <laughs> faded down, and then uh, just a little little spoggy little panic. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that came out, the other they're, they're interviewing a couple of people and now, you know, what's happening is there's endings. You know, people put endings on tracks a lot. But often the ending is sort of almost edited on. It's not written in. They just kind of go, oh, what's it going to be? You know, it's going to be a tom into the reverb, or is it going to be a reverb tail, or is it going to be a... Or, you know, whatever. You know, there are so many different musical kind of ways of ending tracks. But quite often in modern production, they're not built into the actual performance of the track. They're just sort of maybe bolted on at the end. And so, uh, is it Susan Rogers, who's the Prince... Uh, the the yeah. lady who used to work with Prince and she was saying she listens to things she goes oh, it just sounds like it's been pasted on it sounds really wrong you know so yeah. there is an yeah. art to an ending uh, yeah, and I think that, definitely and that's that's an art in itself absolutely I mean yeah. some of the things I'm just trying to think all the different ways I've ended tracks uh, I'm quite keen on overloading the mix bus and it just turned it into distortion and then quick ending like that so you suddenly just get this blast of distortion and it goes down just sending stuff into a big reverb and then just letting the reverb just fade away over like mm. 10 seconds. Um, yeah, there's so many different creative ways, isn't there, to end a track? Mm. The, the cliff drop, the greatest cliff drop, I think, in history is the end of uh, I Want You, She's So Heavy on Abbey Road, you know, sort of, it's a golden oh, and yeah. it's nasty and it's dark and it's gnarly and it gets yeah. it and then it just goes, and it's a burp. Exactly, and you're, you're suddenly like, where have yeah. I, where have I just been in my head for the past three minutes or something? While you've been listening just to that, like, when it's left, with oh. it, left alone with your own thoughts, uh, yeah. I mean, look, the cliff drop ending—that sounds That's a, like good a good shout. Title. That is a good shout, guys, because <laughs> that I think that is a perfect demonstration of a track that works without a fade out. 
definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk, anyway. Talk that, like, what's oh, that? Talk, yes. Talk, it builds and builds and that guitar distorts and distorts and then it just ends. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's the rainbow. Yes. Right. Oh, no. On, uh, on Spirit yeah. of Eden. Spirit of Eden. Uh, I'm afraid I'll have to bow to your better knowledge. Uh, anyway, but we'll, we'll stop it there. Let's uh, let's uh, break things up a bit and have a message from our friends at Isotope. If you want a comedy one, oh, oh yeah, no, go, Dave, go before we go. <laughs> a good, a good comedy, a good comedy end. It's just a vinyl scratch. You can get away with that anywhere in the song. It's a comedy end. <laughs> the old needle going. Yeah. That's yeah, perfect. I suppose that kind of works. Yeah, I've done that. Or, or the deck stop. That's a bit cheesy, though, isn't it? That is well. Oh. Most are, to be perfectly honest. Anyway, let's have a word from our friends at Isotope. This is uh, Isotope's Vocal Synth 2, which, as we know, has been out for a little while now and comes with a whole load of new modules. It's got BioVox module, massively improved vocoder, the CompuVox module, TalkBox, loads more effects, a massively improved vocoder, more bands, more controllability, intelligibility, vocal tract, modelling with uh, BioVox, more effects, as I said, more presets. The effects are now reordable, new GUI. The whole thing is designed to be able to give you loads more potential for uh, mangling and producing your vocals to a much higher level. In fact, uh, we have a competition. Uh, competition we asked actually last week, uh, we asked uh, for the what was the hashtag last week? Creative Vocals. And we've got a winner who is TennisDcom, who, uh, uh, yeah. Super hot vocal synth, great vocals, vocal synth 2 at Sonic State and at Inc. The winner from last week is somebody called tenis.com, T-E-N-I-S-D-com. So if you want to get in touch, I think they're from Latvia. Um, please do, and uh, we will get Isotope to drop you a copy of vocal synth 2. And if you want to enter this week's competition, we're looking for the hashtag vocal production. That's one word, and vocal synth 2. That's two hashtags, vocal production and vocal synth 2. Uh, to at Sonic State and Isotope Inc. Yeah, it's a Twitter competition. You need to enter Twitter, but uh, it's nice and easy, and we just pick from all the hashtags. We do a search for that. So if you want to enter the competition, drop those hashtags onto Twitter, and we'll pick up something from next week, and uh, you could be in with a chance. And remember, if it's summer, lots of people are on holiday, so you stand a higher percentage chance of actually winning if you enter at the moment. So well worth mm -hmm. a punt. Doesn't cost you anything, and you get a great prize from Isotope. Thank you very much for them providing the prize. Providing the prize, even. Thank you very much. Right. Um. What was the next bit? Ah, yes. I got a great video to intro the intro this one. I wonder what you'll think of it. This is uh, Catherine Lansbury, uh, who's a pianist and comedian, and this is her little part of a show where she does a piece on guitars, and it's a medley of obviously this is aha. There are lots of people who do Kitar uh, medleys, thinking that many of these tracks were created on Kitar, which I don't think they were. And the audience are very appreciative. And it goes on, and there's a number of tracks there. But this, the the, the reason I put this in there is because there's a rather uh, funny piece uh, on uh, hardtimes.net, which is kind of a comedy thing, and it's guitar sales down for the 425th straight month <laughs> for whoever it is that uh, monitor these things. And this, it's just a great uh, fun bit, a fun bit of writing. In fact, there's a, a great piece in it. Uh, 
Um, how could we know that consumers? So yeah, the, how could we know that consumers of a novelty instrument would dry up, dry up so quickly and so violently? Asked Danilo Zucas, owner of the struggling Kitar warehouse, all keyed up. Uh, and there are various other f- amusing uh, um, uh, parts for everyone, but it does rather bring in the uh, the, th- the whole notion of the Kitar. Uh, as we're seeing, there are various different uh, alternative controllers. The Kitar used to be the thing and it, but it almost seemed like you had to be wearing some kind of like space age spangly suit or some kind of special <laughs> uniform to be able to get away with it you know you, a regular person can't really wear a kitar you have to have a, like a jacket with those massive hoopy kind of shoulders or spark or spandex and it feels like maybe that's part of the problem i don't know I, I, but kitars in general mm. you now you see them playing who's it lewis cole plays a kitar but he has his on a keyboard stand yeah. so he uses so he's kind of like he's he's hedged his bets it's, there a little bit so you can see the person who's written this article is old and out of touch. Kitars are in. They are the thing. I tell you what, at festivals, you, kitar is, has lost its kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's lost its kind of uh, joke thing. The kitar is like really hip. I go to festivals and stuff and you see a lot of people rocking a kitar now. So I think, uh, I think they need to get with, get with it, man. The kitar is happening. I, you know, and and long may it long may it live. The Kitar's yeah. a good thing in my book. Okay, yeah. all right. Have you got one, Gaz? Um, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Just checking. You know, there's someone so keen. I, I, I velcro I velcro the cord bot to my chest sometimes. <laughs> oh, no, that I, have, I have got a Kitar. I have got a Kitar. My OP one. I've got the little. I got the little strap ad- adapters for my for my OP1 and I have gigged with my OP1 albeit once and broke my OP1 in the process ah. uh, needing a new audio board but uh yes yeah, so I have uh, so you my sort key- of yeah. key so- well they they, they yeah. keep releasing saw- the Roland yeah. keep releasing updates and new versions and uh, I think um uh, um Akai uh or M Audio, I forget a release one quite recently. Somebody sounds like they might be playing one there somewhere. I was going to come to you, Dave, because you know, with all those keyboards, that's not a guitar. I'm sorry, it's got no. guitar straps, I suppose. So it's, it's close enough. Yeah, it's about the uh, the nearest to a guitar I could ever get. I was just going to say though, you know, why haven't I you really got a guitar? I mean, does a guitar have to have a mod grip to be a guitar properly? Uh, yeah, I think so. I used to have. Um, when I used to play in a funk band, they they hired me a Moog Liberation. Which oh, which weighs a ton. <laughs> it is the most unbelievably heavy thing. And there, honestly, there is nothing worse than a... Well, I wasn't podgy or middle-aged back then, but I was just thinking there is probably nothing worse <laughs> than a podgy middle-aged white bloke with a keytar. And a, and pro- unless he's wearing a keyboard tie as well. That's probably Both. the ultimate And scene. a trilby. No. Yes. Yeah, God, Trilby's. Um, <laughs> Trilby, Trilby playing keyboard player with the keyboard tie. Uh, no, I don't like them. I don't. They just, I don't know why. They were probably do you, do you, good for about an hour in the 80s at some point. But Do you think know. that there's I, something distasteful, particularly maybe sort of understated, our understated sort of British sense of reserve that... It's just somehow kind of not the done thing to kind of walk to the front of the stage and present your your synthesizer no, facing the audience. Definitely. It just feels somehow wrong. Yeah, no, definitely, ah, definitely. And, you know, all keyboard <laughs> players should be tucked away at the back, being earnest and very sensible. 
preferably wearing glasses <laughs> or something like that. Dressed all in black, and that's about it. Unless, of course, it was the 70s when they were wearing capes. I mean, Wakey gets away with the guitar and comes down, and he goes down in the audience. <laughs> yeah. and Actually, he walked past me and Chris once, and we just put our hands all over it and ruined it. But, um... No, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, George Duke looked uh, cool with a key tar, with yeah, the yeah, 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 Frankenstein, Frank, Edgar Winter, yeah. Frankenstein. That's got to be the greatest yeah. key tar performance. But wasn't that just I've a clavinet seen. strapped? Yeah, wasn't he just strapped. wearing a clavinet? <laughs> it was I mean, twenty six hundred. I was at twenty six hundred. Oh, it was twenty six. Yeah, uh, yeah, he had a twenty six hundred. Don't say and that's then, not uh, cool. Well, well, the twenty six hundreds reasonably cool, but he looked, yeah, at least he looked cool. I mean, he looked different, didn't he? You get away with it, Gaz. I mean, honestly, me, yeah. But everyone's just going to be going. <laughs> I'm just going to prove um, this. This <laughs> proves my point. Find something. I'm going to find a picture of Edgar Winter with the guitar because you know, when yeah. I because because I rest my case, he is wearing. Spang, you know, he's got spangles, or you know, there's there's a clothing aspect to this, which is. But yeah, there we go. Well, that was the same. That looks incredibly. Whoa! <laughs> go, Edgar. Okay, Matt. That's over to you now. Is there a is there a Eurorack or modular equivalent to the Kitar? Can you think of any um, th- sort of thing that anybody well, makes? Well, that- oh, I've got it. I've got to confess. Oh my lord! Oh, Good for you, Kitar <laughs> owner. There it and is. The cheesiest one available, I think. That's a very yeah. mini Kitar, isn't it? You see, Let's that's post ironic. That works. Yeah, so, I've had this. I've had this since I was a teenager. I think it belonged to a cousin of mine, and I bought it off her. And uh, I. I just keep telling myself I haven't got a license to use it. I think you need a license to use one of these on stage, really, don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a cape, at least. But um, uh, no, I've never used it live. I don't think I've even used it in a studio. It just sits in the corner, and I just look at it sometimes and giggle. Uh, it sort of looks a bit it? like a massive melodica, that one, doesn't it? Oh, maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it looks like it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, well, that, I was just... I <laughs> you know, I've got what, like, what does come to mind though is that the SH101 used to have yes. a mod grip with it, which yeah. kind of turned it into that. And I think they actually, you can, they go a bit more money on eBay these days if you've got the mod grip, ironically. Um, but, I, but, you know, playing synths and stuff on stage, when I'm playing this, I've, sometimes I play with a live drummer and doing some kind of like um, really heavy, distorted bass lines with, with drums and stuff. And I just want, I wish I had that freedom to move around the stage like a guitarist. And, you know, I play guitar as well, played in rock bands, and I love rocking out, getting right up there in front of the audience. You're just stuck where you are, aren't you, with, with this, really, unless you push it around on a trolley or, or get one of these, I suppose. <laughs> every I've time, thought, every actually... time a keyboard player comes, go on. No, 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 no. I'm just thinking. I might, I might convert yeah. to a guitar because the thing is, there's been people in here filming me noodling on synths, and the old bald spot's getting a bit bigger on the back. And every time I see the rushes, I'm like, "Yeah, can you just pan it down a bit?" And they're like, "Yeah, but we don't see you on the modular." Whereas if I was playing a guitar, they'd still see the front, mm. wouldn't they? And they wouldn't see the old shiny flare on the back. <laughs> Crafty. That's true. Yeah, guitar <laughs> is guitar <laughs> through necessity. Okay, there's another possible title. Guitar medical. <laughs> 
I want to see the first person actually have a Euro rack, actually as a key tower, you know, with a full rack as well. And oh, do, do you think you, you could do one of, those, one of those Waldorf KB um, <laughs> units could do that? Patching, just a... patching, yeah, patching, ah, patching in Ale... the key tower. <laughs> Alessandro, key tarini. Ah, Kitani, yeah. Which actually is a very good link there, Dave, because he's got a new album out. I'll just bring that in because this wasn't a topic, but uh, he's got a new album out uh, by Sonoio, which is his working title, uh, his artist title. A brand new album, uh, which is called Fine, and it's a nine-track album available on Bandcamp, uh, Sonoio on Bandcamp. I love his stuff. I'm going to play a little bit. I don't know what... I've got a chance to listen to it. Oh, yeah. It's got that classic Cortini-ness, which uh, I think is great because, as we know, Cortini, he uses a lot of Buchla, a lot of stuff uh, in his mixes. And, and as I was saying before we came on the show, uh, before we went live, I really love the way that he manages to fit so many synthesizers <laughs> into, mm-hmm. so many synthesizer notes into his productions. It's a, it's a real art. It's quite difficult to do. Uh, because obviously they all occupy quite a similar way. The way he uses them, he occupy quite a similar frequency spectrum, but he somehow is able to do that. So do check that out. Um, yes. Anyway. I wonder if he's got a key tar. Uh, well, I actually been to his house uh, where we filmed uh-huh. quite an extensive uh, tour of his uh, tech oh, yes. rig, and I, I didn't see any key tars there. There may have been a mod grip on a 101. I'm pretty sure he had a 101, but I can't remember if it had the mod grip and whether it was positioned in a place that you could imagine him it being easily retrievable i didn't notice any extra length on the cables you know for him to pick because he uh, he started out okay. life as a as an as a shredder you know he was a, a kind of humbucker yeah. double humbucker uh, metal shredder you know that was his kind of musical beginnings so uh, i could maybe he keeps that to his private moments where he doesn't let anybody know about that kind of stuff <laughs> just uh, right. just just proving the point oh yeah that looks, that looks like a man bag. <laughs> yeah. Or a bus can you, can you actually see how to play that? How would you play that? Look, you have to, Don't you have to kind of look down? Yeah. Please, please. Just, Tickets. just play all the white notes. Just play. Tickets, please. A minor. The only problem is you have to have a beard. Yeah, you have to have a beard to do that. It'll be very slim because otherwise you're just going to be like this the whole time, which isn't a very good look to uh, most oh, people of a yeah, certain that's age. A good, uh, so it covers up all of that. A use for my beard. <laughs> Another use for your beard. <laughs> right. Um, uh, this, what was that? Shocking news. Fade out. Uh, that was it. Uh, Presenting studio live. Oh yeah, this was. Uh, now let's find this. This I, I saw this yesterday. So this was. Um, I'll play a bit of this. This was Thomas Dolby in the class. And he's basically. This was an event live in LA, where he is a really good. It's great production. He's 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 talking about uh, the history of him using instruments and performing, and it's all done. It's all done um, using Roland Cloud stuff. So obviously he's promoting that thing because the Roland Cloud. We've talked about it a couple of times, but they keep adding and adding and adding to the kind of list of instruments that you can now get in the Roland Cloud, which is a subscription thing. I mean, I'm a big fan of Thomas Dolby, but I was watching this and I was wondering, is is that cool anymore? It just sort of felt like it's like when you get to a certain age and do that sort of thing, it sort of feels like there's a certain has-been element to it. I mean, not for me with Thomas Dolby, but I mean, perhaps for a lot of people, it would be less relevant. But one thing he did talk about is he was saying, you know, that I, I used to compose a lot on the on these synthesizers and that, you know, they were very expensive and they were beautiful and they were still great. 
But as we've talked about with so many of these sort of uh, synth luminaries, you were saying well, like Peter Zinoviev, you know, he was he's basically just all in the box now because he can't be bothered with all of that electronics and tuning it and getting it fixed. And there's this element of the old school that have just kind of totally embraced the in in the box vibe. Whereas us young upstarts, by by uh, comparison, are sort of say, "Oh, no, it all has to be actual, real analog stuff." But the, the guys, these guys, are sort of saying, "No, I'm totally with it." Dave, what do you reckon? I mean, Dolby's a really interesting kid. I, I would absolutely love to meet him. I, I read his uh, autobiography uh, audio book actually, where he's narrating, and it's uh, it's really interesting. And the end of it, uh, there's a fantastic track with him singing with Eddie Reader, and I was in floods of tears because it was so poignant. Um, what do you think about this whole thing? A, Thomas Dolby, and B, the Roland Cloud. Let's try and keep both of those in, eh? I, yeah. Uh, well, I worked with Thomas on um, a load of Beatnik stuff when he was doing that whole. And the yeah, that was a pretty punishing schedule. There was a, it was a mad deadline. In fact, that's the first time I think I worked so solidly. Uh, I had a bottle at my desk that I weed in, and wow. actually on occasions it was that mad that. When I got up on one occasion, I couldn't feel my legs. It was that insane. Uh, so, yeah, that was when he was doing that whole dot-com thing. So I was really interested after you uh, read the book. I got the same audio book, and it was really good. And, in fact, I had misjudged a lot of things that had gone on at that time because, you know, there were instances where he seriously put his own hand in his pocket. You know, the company was funded. It was a dot-com bubble boom thing. Uh and there were times where things had gone wrong, where he put his hand in his pocket to make sure employees were paid and things like that. And I had no knowledge of that at the time. So I kind of looked at him again with a renewed admiration. I loved uh, those early albums of his. Uh, I kind of lost a little bit of interest with Aliens Ate My Buick. Although when he played uh, I love Pest album. by Blimp on this, well, that, yeah, um, but for me, it was a kind of LA bar band and it just didn't. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, lo I love Screen Kiss. And in fact, Whenever we used to go to Nam, I used to drive up into the Hollywood Hills and play Screen Kiss before we drove down to Nam, and I'd make all the people who worked with us sit and listen to it, uh, and it was amazing. And he, I thought he's yeah a really good songwriter. I liked this. I mean, obviously, some of the anecdotes he told in between are in the book, uh, which again I thoroughly recommend if anyone's vaguely interested. Not only just in him, but the you know those that era of dot-com madness and you know the 80s payola scandal and all the rest of it however where i felt it fell down and honestly i'm not disrespecting him in any way uh was that he started talking about the roland jupiter 4 which obviously wrote loads of stuff on uh, a friend of mine andy well who's been on the podcast andy shillito was his front of house guy for for a couple of tours and that jupiter 4 kept breaking down and he kept calling up going have you got anything can we replace it with something more reliable and whatnot? But um, and then he would use sounds that weren't from. They weren't those real sounds, and it's a bit like for me, it was a bit like going to see those kind of prog bands in the eighties, who had used D fifties for sounds that were previously created on a mini Moog and stuff like that, and it was just like, oh no, no, no. And where it did work was when he started using samples, when he was triggering samples, because it's just got that kind of nostalgic, I mean, it, it was obviously from the multi-track, so it's got that feel, that vibe, and then he kind of play these chords, and I think, well, that's not the same sound that you used on Europa and the Pirate Twins. It's a fairly close facsimile, but it's not. It doesn't evoke the same kind of goosebump response that it would have done. However, I did like it when he played the just the piano on Budapest by Blimp, 
Mm. And that's all I've got to say, really. That and that will do. <laughs> that's plenty. Thank you very much. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. That <laughs> I'm considering he mm. was such a pioneer in synthesizer sounds, uh, and, mm. uh, and and some of them seemed a bit carelessly thrown together. You know, it's like oh, that'll do. You know, rather than because as we know, I mean, it's not like they're not capable of it. I mean, you could have maybe it was just rushed, and because he didn't norm, maybe he didn't use the Roland Cloud for all of this stuff, and he hadn't had a chance to program it to the level of detail that he would have liked. You know, often these things are very rushed, very last minute. People are busy. You know, they're not going to spend mm. months recreating their classic tracks mm. just for one little demo in LA where they're probably getting paid, you know, a nominal fee. So I, I suppose there's that aspect to it, but. Um, but yeah, it's uh, at the speed of sound, isn't it? The album, the the book's called. Is that what it's called? Life at the speed of sound. I think it's called. It's well worth checking out. Um, mm. Gas. I don't know whether you're a big mm. Dolby fan. I mean, it's. It, but well, uh, I caught into him on Aliens at My Bu- Buick, which I still maintain. I think is one of the greatest late '80s productions. Just for that late '80s, you know, it's like a kind of over-the-top 80s, late 80s production in many ways. You know, it's kind of um, as much as he's kind of more, you know, I, I loved Hyperactive and I, what's the album? Uh, the Flat Earth. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, but I sort of, well, I remember those as hits when they were hit singles. Um, uh, she Blinded Me With Science. I was really, really innovative and great. But I thought Aliens at My Buick was something else. I absolutely loved it. I thought every song on it was brilliant. Uh, you know, uh, the keys to her Ferrari and just all this like bonkers stuff. So perhaps I was at the right age for it, but I absolutely loved that. And I, th- I, I do think it's worth seeking out. And it does, of course, have the mega tune Budapest by Blimp on yeah. it as well. Uh, and, you know, I think that album is actually overlooked personally. I think it's really, I've really good. I've got it. I know. I, uh, I brought it on vinyl. Actually. It's a great album. Loads, yeah. of, loads of tunes on there. Um but i mean obviously the this does i mean without getting drawn into the whole subscription model thing because we have done that before and i know that you know many of us are not into it me you know i i don't like it particularly uh and i do wonder if that does kind of connect up though that um the relationship that you have with an instrument that you own is something which is kind of a profound and special relationship and that if you're only ever subscribing to something whether that is a, a relationship that you that you won't really develop by the virtue of of it being this kind of transitory relationship that you don't actually own it you just essentially i've got permission to use it for a, a an amount of time you know i think in, i think you know instruments are this thing there is something very special about owning something and you know so this Mm, you know whether that is whether you won't ever really develop those mm. you know or it's maybe it's yeah. harder so to develop it might be harder to develop possibly. for some people mm. i don't know um yeah I, yeah i guess i don't know um matt i mean you obviously you're teaching a lot of people uh, uh, um and they're presumably learning mainly on software so i mean that that's something they have to learn to develop and you must have to learn to develop to convey that level of excitement and sort of interactivity with those instruments. So, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the cloud thing, I mean, I, I will say that the subscription yeah. model with Roland, I mean, they are fulfilling their promise. They're adding more and more and more stuff to it. So you are getting additional value each time. You know, it's not just a sort of, it seems like less of a bad idea and more of a, a possibly good idea as they add more and more stuff. But uh, I wondered what your thoughts were about just this topic generally. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an interesting one what what is cool about the software side of things whether you subscription or not is um you know my students have suddenly got access to all these great synthesizers and 
and uh, turns them away from maybe the more contemporary ones like Serum or something like that, which are just bonkers. I mean, they're great, but they're bonkers. And if you go back to some of these, like the System 100 and, and the 101, and and um, students are using them and trying to get the most out of something maybe that's that hasn't got wave folding and a million modulation source destinations and things like that, um, it's, it's quite an eye-opener for them to actually start understanding and actually really understanding synthesis um, rather than just being bombarded with something that is just completely patch this to patch that and it can you know any point at any time loads of destination loads of modulation um the thing about the, the this event for me i think was that it was really interesting hearing his stories uh, but all of his stories seem to come from almost what gaz was on about this sort of love for finding his finding his instruments sitting down with them and learning them and pushing them and pulling them and getting getting things out of them that were really intrinsic to his way of working and that inspired him you know there was i forget which synthesizer it was but it, he was using a i think he was just using an lfo to kind of sequence the the filter on it and that inspired him to play in a particular way and i think those are the magic moments that we have where we go oh yeah there's something i've got a connection there i'm going to run with this and you can suddenly that before you know it, you start building a track from that and you're understanding exactly what it's doing, which you can then apply to the next synthesizer you move on to as well. Mm. Yeah, no, that's Quite true. Cool. I mean, uh, uh, he, because he was talking about Jupiter four to begin with, and he had a retrigger uh, and he yeah, was saying that that provided the kind of the, the base that the, 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 the main yeah. track for the, you know, like him sitting down at the piano and throwing the chords down, that would be yeah. where he built the, uh, the song structure and then would track on top of that to build the, the rest of the, the music. And that was kind of interesting. Yeah. It, what, it's, I, uh, what I do like about the, the Roland Cloud, though, is that after, I think after 12 months, you get given something, you get a plug-in. I think you can choose it and it's yours for life. Um, so even if you are subscribing, you do end up with a, a plug-in that actually ends up yours. Um, one of the things that I do like actually on the subscription front is the, is the sample-based cloud stuff. Uh, there's... Loop Masters have got the Loop Cloud. I use yeah. that. That's just great for just grabbing particular things down. And F9 Audio, I think, are doing some interesting stuff as well with that. That's where I'm really interested in subscription because I don't suddenly need to have two terabits of drum samples on a hard drive somewhere. I just grab it from the cloud. It's re That's really, really cool for me. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. Anyway, um, it's online still. If you go to Roland Cloud, uh, it should be listed there uh, and you can watch the whole thing. It's like about an hour. I mean, I think the other thing about it is quite often when you see people demoing keyboards and synths, there's an element of cheese to it. You know, then maybe artistry is not their first thing. They're more in a sales mode, whereas this was just, you know, this is the sort of thing that I think Thomas Dobby does anyway. You know, he does a gig and he talks about stuff and he does, has an interact and then he plays songs around it, you know. So it's part of what he does. So it felt like a very complete thing. It wasn't something that he'd had to kind of hastily cobble together and it didn't feel awkward from that sense. So it was, it was as a thing, it really holds up. So it's well worth watching if you're interested in that. Okay, um, we'll quickly have a look at this one because I think I've seen Div Kid Ben in the chat room. So uh, this is uh, this one probably best to come with to you first, Matt. But this is uh, Div Kid Ben Ben Wilson. Uh, and he... in the top bit is a controller that we will come to. Oh, I think actually I need to start that video from the start, <laughs> don't I? I do beg your pardon. 
I need to clear that. in the top bit is a controller that we will come to. I do beg your pardon. I'll play that from the start. Hello. I've recently been at Deershed Festival, which I'll put a picture and a link in the description. And we were exhibiting, showcasing, demoing modular synths to to the public. And Deershed is a really family-friendly festival. Lots of children around and parents, effectively. Um, and me and Milo Melodies went and exhibited modular stuff in the science tent. So this is the system that I used. I wanted to go through it. This is a Glasgow Make Some Noise, or GMSN, uh, 12U slipper case. Tucked in the top bit is a controller that we will come to. And I just wanted to run through the setup and what we actually did. Uh, this... I recommend you watch the whole of that video. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting. But what's really interesting about it is obviously it's been designed for kids to use. And the faders is a really, uh, uh, it outputs loads of uh, control voltage. So you could use it for bringing up and out, uh, in and out and controlling stuff. So it felt very hands-on. So people didn't have to get involved in all the spaghetti. They could just do it. And it, it seemed like a really well-designed system. But it got, got me thinking about, you know, I mean, getting kids into well, There's some great shots of like little girls kind of playing with it and getting really into it and stuff. And it just sort of seemed like, what a brilliant idea. Um, <coughs> to do generally, just to sort of democratise accessibility to that, because most people would never have seen this kind of thing in the flesh. So, you know, I just thought, a well, good idea. And I thought I'd come to you, Matt, first. But, uh, I mean, in terms of, you know, introducing people who have perhaps don't have any concept of what that stuff behind you does. I mean, have you ever ha had to do that? I mean, how would you approach it? Yeah, I, I did. Um, yeah, I've done... Even this year at the Brighton Music Conference, I did a session which was 101 modular and it was packed with a room full of people who didn't know anything about this. And I had some cameras on there and I took them through some basic patching and um, allowed them to ask questions. We went along. I think it's filmed. It might be online somewhere. Um, and that was really good. And obviously, we, we, we've got this also in the classroom. We've got hardware. We've got software. Uh, but I think there's there's... The one thing that Ben's got to appreciate, if he's going to take this sort of thing out to young kids, there's a responsibility there. You know, this is expensive equipment and it's very <laughs> addictive. So <laughs> I think he's, you know, we've all got a responsibility here. That's all I'd say. But it's really good what he's done. Nice one, Ben. It's, I think he's in the chat room. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's brilliant that you're taking that out there and taking the time and and showing showing these people from a young age um the possibilities i mean when i was young it was it was a piano or a guitar or a bass and for some if someone had come along maybe and plonked one of these in front of me when i was when i was eight or ten or something like that i think i'd have had a very different perspective um and motivation in in where i was going to go with with being a a music producer and performer definitely so yeah good stuff ben yeah, I think so. I, I think that's quite funny what you put because I was going to say it's sort of almost it is a bit like peddling kind of. Uh, I, I mean, it's legal, isn't it? But uh, yes, Euro crack. You've got it <laughs> absolutely right there. But a great idea. I don't know, uh, Dave. I mean, you've done a couple of educational things. I know you have gas too. I'll come to you first, Dave. Um, and you, I remember you telling me that you know when you took an actual hardware synthesizer into colleges where people are mostly using software just through necessity, it's like a kind of epiphany for some of them. Yeah, they were uh, A-level students and uh, degree-level students. And that was fascinating because it was a mini-moog. 
because it's just got that kind of overdriven uh, mixer section. And and honestly, the coolest, the c- too cool for school kids that were in that class, who was, you know, surly sitting in the back. That was me a million years ago. The minute they touched that mini, they just started grinning from ear to ear. And it was really difficult to get them off of it. In fact, I probably had to fight them at the end of it with knives just to get my <laughs> synth back. Now, um, uh I thought this was great, actually, really great. And and it's that I've had a very similar experience recently where something that I've, I'm privy to that you've seen, Nick, but obviously we can't tell the world. Uh, a kid came in and started playing uh, things from that. And they're very, uh, it, yeah, they just start grinning and it's bloody brilliant and i could see i think that was meticulously set up actually because at first i was like what you're gonna let kids <laughs> get into the cables and stuff in fact i've been resetting the moog up because like all of the modulate all of the oscillator modulations were on all of the, the control voltage modulations were on and i was took me a while to kind of get it back to something sensible again uh in fact it took me a while to realize what was going on to get it back and i was just like whoa this is a license but as soon as i as soon as Ben talks about that little controller. I just think it's a brilliant idea because, I don't know, I sent you that link and, you know, that whole thing about schools and education, about learning instruments. We develop empathy, I think, with other people by learning instruments and creating things with other people. And if any, anything that's creative at this moment in time uh, is a good thing, is a good thing. It's so a good antidote to what's going on young. in the world, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, the 16N, this is a bank of 16 faders. I think it's on GitHub, so I'm guessing it's probably open source. So it's just 16 faders that you output uh, 0-5 to 5 volts uh, power, uh, and MIDI data as well, I think. I, I'm not too sure about it, but it, it looks like it could be kind of interesting. I know, Gaz, you've also you know, mm. done educating stuff, and you know, I, mean, I know yeah. that's part of and the improvisation. I mean, uh, um, somebody actually said in the chat room, you know, what's the, what do you think would be the best synth to put in front of? somebody who's never, you know, kids that were maybe thinking of getting into it. And that, there's an additional question there that perhaps I can toss in. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, whew. well, first, I, I, just something I wanted to say. I remember when I was uh, probably about 12 or 13, someone came into my school to and and they brought a whole rack of synths and did a performance. Uh, and I remember there being a SH-101 and I think a Juno and a few other things that probably this was, you know, very early 80s. Um, and I was fascinated. I absolutely was fascinated. And and for me, that's where it began. It really, that, so it, it did have a very strong uh, effect on me. So I'd imagine, you know, for young people, maybe experiencing, say, at the at that festival, for instance, I think there probably will be various people who will kind of get into it. Um, what's the best synth? I mean, well, for the really young ones, it was that one, of course, that was announced, uh, I think, was it at NAMM this year? Uh, we did a little feature on the oh, Blip yes. Box, which was Blip for, box. now that was for, you know, pretty much for like Pusher Price kids, kind of really. thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Really cool thing, though, because it is a proper synth. Uh, although um, one of the criticisms some people have level, lev- levied at it is that nothing's labelled, but it does have like signal flow. So you can see that that, that knob, if you turn that knob, there's a, like a, an arrow that points to another knob. So you, you do get an idea uh, of the interactivity of it. Um, and that looks great and a friend of mine who's got a little boy he wants to get one um really cool looking thing look at that uh and it is a proper synth and it's got a midi what's it got a midi in on it i think hasn't it so you can um so you can put a, you can plug a, a keyboard into it um right. 
I, I wish it, it did label what everything is as well. So for people as they get older, it does actually introduce the names of the parameters as well. But uh, anyway, uh, so obviously that's for very little kids. Um, then, you know, Volkers are great, aren't they? For, uh, yeah. you know, first, you know, for people's first uh, hardware um, and, uh, you know, other things uh, like the pocket operators as well are really cool. I've seen some young, you know, uh, my friend, bought some of them for, for for her her two her two little ones um and they loved it they loved them partly because they could just annoy everyone because they're just using the built-in speaker and just um but uh i mean the other thing about the modular stuff which is quite interesting though is as as young people are kind of just as their brains are kind of just learn you know they're just getting things together the actual pathways that you create to make a modular system work is kind of there is a very, you know, it's a bit like creating some sort of neural network, isn't it? Or something, you know, that this goes to this and this links to this. And there is a certain amount of physics at play there that um, by physicalizing it, taking it outside of the computer, I think gives like that real, you know, I think it probably helps build logic circuits. So I can see them actually having a, a really beneficial effect just on the on your brain as you're kind of just learning stuff. So I think other than them being like fun things, I think they probably do really help you um, develop sort of certain important, you know, logical skills, I, I, I guess. Um, However, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Ben's definitely a very brave, brave man letting sort of some grubby, muddy kids play with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So fair dues, you know, I think that was, you know, and, and Myla too. I think that was a brilliant thing for them to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, there's a lot of validity in this and it is something that I'm hoping to be doing in the near future as well is going to be doing taking sort of hardware synths to to schools and stuff you know hopefully um for that purpose really i think that every you know people who are born into the kind of computer age um i think it's really super for them to you know to realize that this has a history outside of the computer and yeah great really super positive this is right up my street really yeah. Uh, well, uh, funnily enough, uh, Richard Alpin, uh, who's sat behind you, Gaz, has just put in the chat room a micro beat would be a good call as well. So it's only a couple of hundred quid. So that's not a bad idea. Uh, what yeah. would you suggest, uh, yeah. actually, Matthew, as a, as a first, you know, maybe a first introduction, you know, because not every, obviously even a small module is going to be pricey, pricey, pricey. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, well, actually, the SH101 I have uh, on the back of it has got a school sprayed or etched into it so i know schools used to have these and i think gaz mentioned this i'd certainly say yeah a 101 just just because it has got cv and gate so if you then want to expand it and start plugging it into other things you can but just the way it's laid out into i mean i said this is my desert island synth anyway um just the fact that it's laid out with the envelopes really clearly in the waveforms and the keyboards a good decent size as well for your fingers not many keys that kind of thing so so that or if you then want to step it up one you get the ms20 out and then you've got you've got that semi-modular thing going on there and you get the patch cables out and you start having a bit of fun with that 
Definitely. Well, yeah, of course, so there was there was the uh, the uh, educational version of the MS Twenty, wasn't it? Which was the size of a kind of mm. very large television. Oh, the uh, blackboard, which, yeah. The blackboard. Oh, really? I, you, did you? I, I'm yeah. I'm, th- I'm thinking. Some I know someone who had one. I'm sure I've seen one in the. There's yeah. one in Emis. Emis. They had yeah. one in, in the upstairs ah. in Emis. So, what do you think, Dave? What would you recommend? Affordable oh, for I'm kids. Well, this is the really funny thing, you see, because I get emails from people going, uh, could you just send me a couple of sounds from that CS80? Because I'd really like one. It's just that I need to get the whole purchase past the missus. Well, what better bribery to get a purchase past the missus than the kid needs it? So CS80 <laughs> is absolutely indispensable CS80. for the child, and you wouldn't want to deprive my child, would you? And that CS80. way, you've got, when they grow up, you've got a roti as well. <laughs> investment investment in the education well that's not a bad idea i suppose Mm. i mean there's a lot of talk about how much education costs certainly in the uk for kids so you know an eight or ten grand synth investment is only a small percentage (laughs) of that total lump sum great idea (laughs) how to get it past the missus Excellent. Well, um, I, I think that's probably a good point to, uh, to to draw things to a close. Thank you ever so much for joining us, everybody. Thanks to all of you people in the chat room. We've got the YouTube chatties who are flying past at a rate of knots and also our IRC folks as well. Thank you for joining us there. And I just wanted to actually, before we go, should just refresh your memories of the Isotope competition. If you want to win a copy of the Isotope Vocal Synth, which is an excellent vocal production set of plugins that will allow you to harmonize, vocodize, uh, modelize, effectize, all of these things to a vocal. It really is a very uh, powerful system. Uh, we're looking for a Twitter uh, entry, so you need to tweet the hashtag vocal production, the hashtag vocal synth2 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Uh, that's the hashtag vocal production and the hashtag vocal synth2 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Excuse me. Uh, once again, we thank them very much for the provision of the prize. So I think that's probably it for this week. So I'm going to say uh, goodbye to everybody. Uh, Gaz, oh, I forgot, Gaz. We, got, um, we There was something that came. It was Rupert Neves' um, 92nd birthday yesterday. Can you believe yeah, it? And he's yeah, still I saw working. That. He's isn't still he? still working. Yeah. It's wow. ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, 92, still working and still doing amazing stuff. I mean, wow. Why isn't he Sir Rupert Neve? I want to know. That's a good question. Surely. Yeah, Surely. Maybe a bit too niche. I don't know. He hasn't won the Tour de France, ah! has he? <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, look at the effect it's had over music history. Yeah. I mean, he's one it's of the most call. important contributors to, to, to music in the last 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. More. I'd say that's a very good yeah. call. And, of course, uh, the, we've got the Steinberg URRT, which has got the Rupert mm. Transformers in it. Uh, and yep. I, speaking I've to actually, one. You're oh, speaking sorry. into one, are you? Into one now with with the transformer. I've done this before with the transformer, with the Neve transformer, and without the Neve transformer. So I don't know how well you can actually hear that, but uh, just a bit more body. Really good. Yeah, it makes a really cool difference when you're recording, though. It's very cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, in fact, uh, I'm going to play out with your track because I've snipped it out of the oh, review just for fun. Because, uh, <laughs> as part of the review, Gaz, uh, Gaz recorded a whole track through it. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we could look forward to that. But, yes, yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Jack cool. Gaz. Uh, very much pleased. And also, uh, Matt Hodson, thank you, too. I hope you uh, get to do finish off your EP. And don't forget, check out uh, Matthew Hodson on YouTube because uh, you're doing a lot of live streaming as well, right? So. Yeah, I'm going to I think I'm going to carry on doing some more. I mean, I've had a, I've had some good comments from it. So, I'll just continue until people get fed up and stop watching and leave me alone and then I'll stop it again. But um yeah, <laughs> yeah, go check out my YouTube channel and and see 
the last three episodes are probably what you want to see. It's called Come Patch With Me. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, and thank you for everyone. joining us. Cheers. And also, Mr. Dave Spears, thank you for joining us too. It's been a pleasure. I, I must admit, there wasn't an awful lot of uh, 55 interjections into the uh, into the show, as promised at the top. So you've got like 10 seconds now to make a difference. Oh, it's gone out of tune. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so it has. There, there we go. There we go. Thank you very much. So I've anyway, got that, and I think... I think the last time I was on, I was working on a hi-hat pattern. So I've got two things going on now in about six months. Excellent. Well, good work. <laughs> good work. I, I imagine all the heat and everything, it must be a nightmare to keep them all in tune. Anyway, um, I want to say thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, Sonic Talk episode uh, 543. So uh, we'll see you all next time. Take care. And I'm going to play out with Gaz's opus. See you later. Okay, I'm Gaz Williams. Hope you've enjoyed this. Catch you next time. Mind don't matter when you haven't got a friend. Sit right down in a holly bush with a prickle and a pen. If you find what you're after, then go right back again. To the same old bush with the funny looks from the piglets and the hens. And the weary Morris man. Cock Robin has been shot at noon. No mammal was away. Was he shot for his skin or bread? Was he better off dead? I am the captain, and I'll take it off from here. I can't find who he was talking to just a minute for his end. Death was natural, there's no conspiracy So why don't you switch back the tune to the cheery one again Ignite the Murray's men Cock Robin has been shot at noon No mammal was aware by who Was he shot for his skin or bread? Was he better off dead? Well I can't afford a camera would have caught the shots A television mogul Would have given me all he's got Instead I sit and wonder How Robin met his end A hero now among us Our feather-footed friend Hey! <laughs> hey.